This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for, oh, Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Um, and golly, we, we're almost out of year here. Getting there. One month and I'm not complaining. I'm excited. That's great. I'm looking forward to 2023. I knew there were going to be so many years in this decade. Wow. (laughs) Not to burst your bubble too hard, Daddy Warpig, but you said the same thing at the end of last year. Uh, Last year was awful. And and you know what was even the one great thing about last year? What's that? At least it wasn't 2021. Oh. <laughs> I feel like we've gone through this shtick before, but man. The 2020s have been really rough. It hasn't been a great decade so far. Uh, maybe we'll finish strong once we get the uh, cancel cultural nuclear war out of the way. What do you think? Sure, let's 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 have hope for once. Let's <laughs> smile and say, yeah, things will things will go great. I'm not kidding. I'm smiling. I'm hoping things go great. I'm 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 happy. Things are going great for uh, you know. Sure, you were supposed to step in. That was silence. Nope. nope, I'm gonna let you let you hang out there in the wind. Yeah, uh, I can tell you one thing that's not going great. Uh, I'd love to go outside and and enjoy the October air and perhaps do a little yard work, but uh, Western Washington is still under smoke cover. Uh, the air quality is poor. It's been extremely poor this week. And so it's uh, time to hunker down inside. Because they're burning your part of the state down. Well, I think most of the fires are, are just on the eastern side of the mountains. But it's been, it's been dry everywhere. But we have to tell the audience that. The reason why the air quality is poor is because they're burning Washington to the ground right now. Burning Washington to the ground. Oh, we shouldn't have mentioned nuclear war. Someone paying attention on Twitter thinks Trilopulus needs some more nukes. What do you say? <laughs> um, I, honestly, I, I think part of the reason somebody tried to nuke minus Mandolf was so that we would move on to other places in the campaign for <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think that's true because... That that motive could potentially be attributed to me, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying you see yourself in this tweet, and you don't like it. And I don't like it. Um, Carlos Carrasco, Washington State. Uh, we get wildfires every year, and uh, you know we've got lots of coniferous forests, and summer's dry. It's not like California, but we have our own wildfire season. 
And uh, it usually doesn't go on through the middle of October like this, but what are you going to do? I had to turn my computer in this week because the hard drive is dying. Uh, and they also told me I need to replace my screen uh, once I turned it in. And apparently there was also a dent on the front of it that I never noticed. So it's going to be gone for at least a week. So I'm doing the show here on my iPad. But I realize sitting here that my desk has become a lot more hostile since since moving my computer because my computer was hiding like mounds of things that are now staring at me accusingly um I, to my left i've got a stack of like eight books that i mean to read but i haven't read yet um the penultimate men still unread paths of Cormanor still unread. Um, one of the Julian Hawthorne books I bought from Kosova's Kickstarter still unread, um, including and also the Eye Inside by Alan Dean Foster, Dagger by David Drake, the War Games movie novelization, book called Steel by J.D. Masters, all unread. To my right, I've got the, the Complete, Complete Enchanter by, released by Bayon Books, still unread. And it's sitting on top of two hard drives I'm supposed to have gone through and deleted stuff I didn't need. That's work I hadn't taken care of. To the front of me is mail that I haven't opened and dealt with. Uh, and there's also a, a model six seven inch model of uh drop ship from the uh movie aliens um with all the pods and stuff opened up so it's in full flight mode um that i just have sitting on my desk because i haven't found a place to put it up with i mean if i haven't found a place on a shelf to set it up so it looks nice so it's just sitting here on the desk and i'm having to constantly remind myself to be calm about moving it because I could easily snap off something. So that's stuff that's undone. I mean, this desk is a, is a living hell of things I'm supposed to have done already. And the computer was keeping me distracted from it during my 12 hour working days. I've literally got a milk crate filled with comics that I've bought in various Kickstarters um, that are all unread. Hey, I'm gonna uh, grab a random one. I, 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 I can't see what I'm grabbing, but I'm going to grab a random one and tell you what it is. Expendables go to hell. Unread. Dang, man. I, I gave up a long time ago. I realized that sometimes sometimes I support the Kickstarters, especially people we bring on the show, understanding that I'm not buying a book to read. I'm just supporting 
a friend or a guest. Uh, I still haven't read the first year of Kursova. Um, I got a bunch of Kursova magazines sitting around. I haven't touched them. You just got to accept it. I, uh, oh, I grabbed another one. It's another case for the littlest umbrella, not red. So yeah, this is a, this is a glowing hell of things that I haven't done that I should have been doing, uh, that, uh, my computer was hiding from my eyes. Uh, so I'm just going to have to focus on my iPod because, uh, otherwise I'll never get through the show. No, I finished, um, last night I finished, uh, an, uh, audio book. Sorry, I was trying to remember what they were called. Um, audio book. Larry Niven and Stephen Barnes, uh, Dream Park. I listened to the audio book. Um... And when I was a kid, I, there were a lot of things in that audiobook that I did not notice that I noticed today. <laughs> I don't really want to review the book, but man, there are some scenes that things that like Larry Niven is really kind of obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Carlos is right. Do you want to read that? <laughs> to be so red true. lists are a hydras. For every book, one knocks off the list, another two or three pop up in its place he you just can't lying. keep up <laughs> he is absolutely utterly totally not lying a couple of weeks ago i i started reading shagduk started getting through my copy of that it's absolutely fascinating i still haven't finished it oh yeah i finished uh i just finished one of the last um, Galaxy's Edge books. So I only have one more. Uh, KTF1 is the next one. But then I've still got like just in the, that venue of uh, Onspock and Cole, I still have one and a half of their, you know, Rangers and D&D. &D novels and doc spears i have like three and a half of those you know i'm not saying i feel guilty about those because they're undone but because they're on my kindle list you can't feel guilty about the kindle list because it's all just ebooks you can't even see them really right it's you right. just, just your phone or ipad um, or ipad um yeah, I more feel frustrated with that because there's so many books I want to read that are look so great. Um, and then, you know what's really frustrating nowadays? Really, really frustrating on Amazon is you'll come across this story and it sounds like a great idea. You know, the description they give of it. And you'll go down to the very, very modern and you'll figure out through the keywords that they use that it's another woke book that they're trying to hide. I hate that. I hate getting excited for a book 
and getting down to the bottom in the uh, categories they've chosen or the words they've uh, used at the bottom or the blurbs they put in from publishers uh, weekly or whatever it is and figuring out, oh, this is just another woke piece of trash and they're trying to hide it. I, I just, that makes me mad. That makes steam come out of my ears. I, it's a big problem. I don't like putting up with it myself. Um, I'm actually currently planning, uh, speaking of, of to be read list, I'm planning a bookshelf for my living room. I'm going to keep have a place to keep books and uh, board games, actually. I've got quite a few board games I'd like to stack up there as well, make a sort of like a reading playing nook. And I... I think it's going to be great when I get a shelf big enough to hold all these books and games that I have and realize just how little time I spend reading and how little time I spend playing. <laughs> what a curse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I have one four hour block of time during the week that I actually get to play a role-playing game. It's, it's tragic. I've basically given up playing my, I've talked about this before though. I'm not going to do this again, but I basically given up playing my console. Um, I found uh, last week I, I, instead of watching TVs and movies for one night, I turned that into a playing a game night. So I played uh, three hours through uh, the Shadowrun RPG. And that was, you know, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, so I forgot when I was creating the character just how useless uh shaman magic was in that first game just i never played but there's no such thing i mean shaman magic is just a different flavor of all the same spells in Shadowrun, the tabletop game it is mm -hmm. not in the uh harebrained schemes uh you know, 3D isometric RPG that they kick-started. Oh. Um, which, uh, which came out on the Xbox console, or Xbox One, whatever you wanted to call it, um, and the PlayStation console just like five months ago. Um In that game, Conjuring, which is the the sort of specialty of, of shamans, doesn't have any um, offensive spells. Oh. All it has are, are buff spells. Um, in fact, even the heal spell is a... Uh, 
magician or spellcasting uh, ability. So it has things like haste. It has things like slow, which I guess is technically an offensive spell, but it doesn't do much. It's got the barrier spells, which actually they provide you cover and enemies who go through them get hurt. So they're okay, um, but no direct damage. They're all, you know, they're lame clerics without the ability to heal is what they are. That sounds terrible. And this sort of, it reminds me of something interesting when it comes to and from video games. From video games, you got the idea that what you need is raw healing and and damage dealing for combats play enough actual tabletop games and you find that that's an important niche they're not the most important spells they're not even the most powerful spells they 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 fill that niche very well but uh, in terms of being able to succeed at your goals or you know win an encounter or you know get the treasure or whatever, they're probably the least important tools in the toolbox. It's really interesting coming to and from uh, video games. Um, do you want to jump into reviews or do you want to... Oh, let, we're, on, we're on RPGs. Let's talk about Brovenloft. We have, not just Brovenloft, we have to talk about the fate of Stormbringer. If you're listening live and you haven't been catching up with Joy of Wargaming's videos, I, you can't pause me. But pause me if you're listening later. Go back to Joy of Wargaming's channel on YouTube. Check out the Fate of Stormbringer series. It concluded. Uh, the time limit was the 12th. On October 12th, uh, Stormbringer uh, would fall into the sun and kill the sun god. Uh, John concluded that thing and it got crazy so here i'm I'm spoiler so if you're listening live you had your chance the forces of chaos won the battle but they won it on the back of a um sea demon blip, blip, blip. and b dubs the dungeon master of the dubs are on campaign where this celestial battle originated has determined <laughs> that he he decided that if it was going to be his campaign's problem that he would make it everybody's problem exactly what i was about to say yes he, he's, oh yeah you want to stick me with the with the evil artifact sword guess what uh, we're not just going to destroy my world we're destroying everybody's world so Everybody who is playing or wants to play in a Broasar adjacent game, unfortunately, the sun rose on the 13th, blood red, the seas are boiling, uh, water monsters everywhere are rampaging, full-on multiversal event. Every All the campaigns that are were in the Broasar, they're all taking part. Trilopulous dubs are on. 
Red Frontier, all of them. Absolutely amazing. Um, this, the two things I'm, I've learned from this, which is, first of all, the crazy uh, Jeff Gaxian timekeeping, where we do one-to-one time, and there's no fast-forwarding. You, you stay in sync with the real calendar allows all these events to play out in real time um, in all these multiple games. If Speaking of video games, it's like if you're playing uh, World of Warcraft or some other MMO and there's like a six-month-long event that affects every server. That's, that's what's happening. If you think of these other games as different servers. Let's see. And when you... When you have a group of people who are, are working together like that, having someone like B-Dubs or Mr. Wargaming, they're worth their weight in gold. Uh, these are some really um, clever players, clever game masters, and they're the types of people where when you give them that kind of freedom, they come up with stuff better than any written module. And this would be a great written module. You could probably imagine sort of a TSR 90s era second edition module with the, you know, the cool art on the cover and, oh, here's what happens in your campaign world. Here are the rules, blah, blah, blah. Really easy stuff. And maybe some pre-written adventures for, uh, you know, stopping the cultists of the sea witch or whatever, right? Absolutely amazing. Uh Amazing stuff organically coming out just from some creative guys playing the game. Um, I highly recommend Mr. Wargaming's channel, Joy of Wargaming. Uh, He'll give a much better breakdown than I just did. Really, really fun stuff. And and I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but we were talking about Brovenloft. Brovenloft is still ongoing. And thankfully... Brovenloft did not get Stormbringer, the evil sword, thrown into it. Uh, that was one of the possibilities of the forces of good and law had won. We have made a couple of discoveries in session play, which is Brovenloft has become the best place for Modern modules. By modern modules, I mean the theme park adventure for a night module. The sort of thing that the Brosar ostensibly fights tooth and nail against because we've opened up this weird world where all these giant Halloween monsters are duking it out you know, with their giant armies in the background. So how do you interact with that? You can't necessarily fight one of these big guys one-on-one, but you can go to their domains and experience the style, the flavor, the the danger of those domains and try to come out of it with some magic items or treasure or whatever, a standard D&D adventure. Well, it's, it's incumbent on your DM to convey that sort of setting and flavor when you play the game. End result, 
just like happened with the fate of Stormbringer. You've got clever game masters taking a setting, a basic description of a setting, and they come up with a complete adventure around it. Just like you might buy off the shelf. Once again, you cannot stop the Broasar. Once again, the insistence on strict time records, one-to-one time, Jeffergaxian timekeeping, generates, naturally generates all the the scenarios, all these gameable settings and scenarios that game companies have been selling us for 30 years. How do you get there? How do you get from point A to point B? You get there by following the time rules and letting your players and letting your game masters just be creative. And it doesn't have to be extemporaneous. They just have to be creative. You don't have to think of something right off the top of your head at the table when you know, hey, we're playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons next Thursday. So sometime in the next few days, I can sit down and add to the game. I can come up with a few dungeons or a few adventures that fit the game and where the party's at. Or if I, for existing NPCs and parties, I should advance their plans. I should see what, check in with some of my NPCs, check in with some of my domains, see if anything's changed in the past week or see what's changed in the past week. All of those things generate scenarios that are just as good, if not better, than pre-printed scenarios. More importantly, there's ownership by the players and the game master. All the players are invested. They, they're actually, they, they don't know. It's not like they're being read to from box text in a module. It feels like a part of that world. Once again, every week, every, every week or two, uh, the, these guys are demonstrating exactly how powerful these rules and concepts are. These guys have taken, and I say these guys because I've joined up I'm mostly a player. I'm not creating anything. These guys have uh, these these guys have actually shown how to make this stuff. And as Bradford Walker says, Brosars found out how to fulfill the potential and promise of the tabletop RPG medium and justified the medium's existence. You can't do this stuff in a computer game ever. You, you can't do this stuff in a card game or, or anything like that. Go to those games for their experiences. I love computer games. I love card games. I love board games. These experiences can only happen at the table. And I'm not talking the playing of roles, the theater of the mind, the sort of theater kid kind of D&D, the kind that you see on shows like Critical Role or something like that. That's not what I mean by those experiences. You can have those experiences too. I'm talking about the actual gaming experiences. Nothing beats it. I'm done. Okay. I hear the audience applauding even now because you're right. Um, 
And uh, I, I think that at least uh, when looking at Brovenloft, people uh, as players, not as patrons, people as players were wanting to get involved in these, uh, you know, in these shenanigans on the ground. But, and we, uh, the expectations in September were that the patrons were going to be creating dungeons and stuff for adventurers to go in and and deal with and and uh, that's how they would be interacting with the uh, with the play, but at least as far as we've seen, um, that hasn't happened. So, and maybe that did happen for other you know, characters from other campaigns who were in uh, Brovenloft because their game masters were clued into what was going on in other places on the map. But for people who were primarily in the Rome um, Twin Peaks area, they didn't have any of the info necessary to go adventuring in places outside that. So they were looking for something to do. I popped up and said, yeah, I can give something ready for Thursday night. And uh, people were skeptical. They're like, no, uh, we don't know how to get out and go adventuring in, you know, Bon Brasilia, which is my sort of, uh, my sort of district in the Trollopolis campaign. And I was like, no, no, this is, uh, you know, this is October. We're playing Brovenloft in October because after October, we don't know when we're going to be playing Brovenloft again. Mm-hmm. So on Thursday, I put together a Brovenloft adventure and we went ahead and did that. Instead of waiting on a patron to do something, I just put together my own thing and worked with Kess to have it have an impact on the patron play so that it could actually be connected with Brovenloft instead of being all off on its own. So and that yeah. guy, yeah, and that guy, and that's amazing that you did that. Uh, Kest, the master of Brovenloft, he's been working nonstop since October came out. I, I can't believe this guy's getting any sleep. But yeah, all you had to do is send him a message. Hey, this is what I want to do. So which which is kind of a pity, but uh because it would have been better some some patrons gave more information, more useful information than others. But in the end, it was enough for the game masters to jump in and make something. So I got an idea for next week to run something else in a different part of Brovenloft so that we have a different, you know, we can take advantage of these different places with different 
themes and different play styles and stuff just to, just so it's not all the same and it's not all boring and stuff. Um, yep. So I'm going to do another one next week and we'll see how it went. I think the one this week went really, really well. Uh, from my point of view. Yeah, the integration was good. Uh, there was a, we had a, we had a problem with tired players again, but uh, the integration of good and as far as getting the player characters in there was real easy. Uh, it fit right into the milieu and we were able to have an impact on the broader patron domain game without having to directly interact with any of the patrons. Have we seen the, uh, any tweets about the effect of that? Has Kess sent anything out yet? Yes. Yes. What happened was, and I can try and find the tweet, uh, you know, uh, the target of the, and, and we'll spoil this for anybody who hasn't seen the tweet. We targeted Eddie the Lich, uh, who is uh, a Lich modeled off of the skeleton that's on the cover of every Iron Maiden album. Who is just now getting out of a giant mass battle at, uh, Count, at Castle Brovenloft in the middle of the map. So that battle's almost resolved. And just a few days after the battle's resolved, he's going to be attacked or is being attacked by a rival from Judas Priest. So the, the Battle of the British Metal Bands are is ongoing. Or it has begun now. Uh, I think that I think that a few players of non-good alignment should get together and enli enlist the help of other bands to help Eddie, perhaps today on this Black Sabbath. What do you say? I better miss, I'm going to message Kest right after the show. We're doing this. Anyway. Yeah, after the show, I've got to find that tweet. That's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, so gaming's been outstanding. Uh, I don't have anything more to say about it. Did my rant. War pig. All right. Tell me about your week. Um, I want to do a couple of things real fast. Because we do only have like 20 minutes left in the show-ish. Oh, 25. If we want to be generous. Um, Do your thing. So I watched the Sea Hulk, the She Hulk series on Disney Plus. Um, it was basically a feminist using She Hulk to complain about all the things that you read about feminists complaining about. Um. So, in other words, it was just like every other 
TV streaming show that they've handed over to feminist writers because they all end up complaining about the same thing. Um, they've got to have the award for the group of people with the least ability for humor. I said that awkwardly. They have no sense of humor. Feminists, I mean. It's uh that reminds me of a joke. Warpig. How many feminists does it take to change a light bulb? I do not. That's know. not funny. I should have seen that coming because I've heard that joke before. <laughs> I feel like I need to slap myself because I am verging on the uh, verging on sleepiness here. Um, and the sad thing about it is the comment I just made, they either mocked or pre-marked. You remember last week when I was complaining about that trailer for Mindy Kaling's read something or other about Velma and how Velma, oh, last week I said there weren't any other um, Scooby-Doo characters in the show. That That's not true. There apparently are other Scooby-Doo characters in the show, one of whom is Daphne, who's the other girl, the tall redhead uh kind of fashion plate one who you know dresses night and is nice and is really good looking she is in this show and you wouldn't know it from the commercials but the description in the first trailer says that she has quote unquote complicated feelings for Velma. Now, you have to have been around woke people enough to know how to translate that. But those of you who have been around woke people enough can translate that easily. Um, because it doesn't mean what it might otherwise necessarily mean. It always means one thing that her feelings are complicated always means one thing and you should know already what i'm talking about but anyways you remember how i told you that like the entire commercial was basically a take that against the audience of scooby-doo against the audience of anybody who sure. you know Oh, we're changing things, and the audience thinks that everybody should be keeping it the same and stuff. It's basically an I hate you letter or a hate letter to the audience. Well, the end of She-Hulk is basically a hate letter to anybody who's a marvel fan or who is a male 
who dislikes the show, anybody who has any criticism of the show, who is a man, you are sexist. You hate women. That's the only reason you dislike the show. Your criticisms are invalid. You hate women, and your criticism comes from your deep hatred of women and your insecurity when faced with strong women. You are scared of women who are strong women, and therefore. You manufacture criticisms of the show. So you can't criticize this show because you're weak and you can't handle the truth. It occurs to me that if it were true, they wouldn't have to shout it so loudly from the character's mouth. So just by the fact that I say the series wasn't very good for so many reasons that I'm sure that, you know, critical drinker or um, any one of a number of other YouTube people will get into um, that are probably correct. Um, they have pre-invalidated all of your objections. You can say, man, that ending was a mess. It was lame as heck. It sucked. That ending sucked. And even if it was true, You can't say that because you're a man and nothing you say matters. Sorry. They called you out. They called you out in the ending and uh, you've been called out. You have been exposed. You are a man baby. So even if the rest of the series had been pretty good, that would have ruined the whole thing. Now, I would like to go on record as saying that not literally every minute of the show was a feminist complaining about first world problems. But more than enough, like many, if not most. And those that weren't direct complaints were kind of get, take that, which, which were like revenges. So 
at one point during the entire show any man who hits on a woman even somebody who just says hey would you like to uh can i buy you a drink is portrayed as crude um a borderline rapist sorry i just that's the only way i can describe it they're scum and they get theirs they get theirs they're shown to be fools and and they're put in their place because asking a woman if you can buy them a drink is is evil all right man it's evil and you should never do that but she hulk hits on daredevil and then goes off for a one night stand with daredevil it's charlie cox it's literally the netflix daredevil um who is a completely same actor different character it would have been better to recast him because this is not the netflix actually the netflix daredevil character um it's pathetic i don't even want to get into it um and then the next day after the one night stand which happens at her house now get this because it's funny see um it's funny because of what girls have to do the guy has to do see they're flipping the script there he has to walk home barefooted holding his boots in his hands like girls have to do when they're holding their high heels in their hands it's the same thing only it's the guy holding his shoes oh wow it's the same thing get it that is that is a knee slapper i tell you what can you believe they reversed the roles on that wow Clever. See, the reason why women hold their, uh, carry their heels the next morning is they were wearing high heels all the night before, and that actually kind of makes your feet hurt. And so they're walking with holding their heels because their feet hurt, and they don't want to wear the heels anymore. And it's kind of a cliche because it's not really quite true, but it's true enough that people can use it as part of a joke or or part of a, you know, Part of a cultural uh stereotype right but he's wearing boots and there's no reason for him to be carrying boots because boots don't make your feet hurt like high heels do so it's completely nonsensical the only reason that they scripted it in the show is just to do a take that to the man just to go see you're getting what girls get <laughs> it's revenge so most of the show is first world complaints the part of the show that isn't first world complaints most of that is flipping the script to you know punish men for what are seen as offenses against women and somewhere in there they do manage to squeeze in actual kind of interesting stuff with characters like uh 
Abomination shows up from the Hulk movie with Edward Norton, who we then pretend never was Edward Norton ever again because he really, really, he was heavily involved in re-scripting and, and redoing that Hulk movie, and then it bombed so bad. It bombed so bad that they've never had another Hulk movie, and Hulk's just been a guest star in other people's stuff. Um, that's how bad. Um, so how do I know this is written by a feminist complaining about things? In the original She-Hulk origin, She-Hulk got in a car accident, and then Bruce Banner saved her life by giving her a transfusion of his blood, and that's how she became She-Hulk, because she got Bruce Banner's gamma radiation-infused blood. She was his cousin, so she had the same genetic traits as him. So she became She-Hulk, because she could survive it the way he could survive it, whereas other people would just die. Any random person off the street would just die. And that kind of makes sense in a comic book physics sort of way. You know, you can mm -hmm. buy that. If you're buying the fact that Bruce Banner could survive the gamma radiation thing at all. Okay. So how does she become She-Hulk in this series, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, they get in a car crash and Bruce Banner is trapped and She-Hulk gets out of the car and cuts herself and... Bruce Banner is trapped, and so this tiny little girl, and she's tiny. The actress is playing her is short. She's like five foot nothing. And she's got the skinniest arms you've ever seen. And she goes to save Bruce, her cousin. And as she's trying to save him, a couple of drops of Bruce's blood land in this open cut. So it's not a huge blood transfusion that inundates her body with new blood. It's literally like three drops of blood fall into her open wound and that makes her She-Hulk. Now, there's this thing, this trope they rail against, which is called the damsel in distress. Where a damsel in distress is any woman who needs help from a man. So any woman who ever needs help from a man is a damsel in distress. So if a woman gets in a car accident, and a male fireman has to use the jaws of life to pry open the car, that's a damsel in distress, that can never happen. And I want you to look for this in feminist written movies. They will go to great and stupid lengths to ensure that no woman ever has to be helped by a man in any situation for any reason. And the more feminist they are, the stupider it will get. 
And the smaller and smaller and pettier and pettier the situation will be that the woman can't be helped by a man. If she drops something on the floor, no man can help her pick it up. That's how petty and stupid it is. So anything that any problem that she gets into, no man can help her get out of it. Other women can, or she can get out of it herself. No man can help her. So She-Hulk, her life cannot be saved by Bruce Banner. It can only be saved. Uh, she can only get the blood by accident, and she's trying to save him. That's feminist doctrine. That's a first world problem. Women getting help from men is offensive. And if it is put in a movie, it is offensive. It is demeaning to women. It is contributing to the oppression of women in society. You, sir, you have written that in their movie. You have written it in your movie. And you are contributing, literally contributing to the violence against women in society. You are literally in a real sense, contributing to violence against women every time a woman gets punched, every time a woman suffers from domestic violence, your movie has contributed to that. I am not making this up. I, Daddy Warpig, am not making this up. This is a real accusation that gets made. Feminists believe this, okay? So that's why it can't happen in, in She-Hulk. That's why Daredevil needed She-Hulk to come in and help him out is because uh, She-Hulk couldn't have a man help her. So, yeah, that's She-Hulk. The show is ruined because if the writer is good, they're hamstrung by these ideological constraints. And you may not be aware of these ideological constraints, but that's one of them. The damsel in distress trope is one ideological constraint. Um, so you can look for that now. You can be aware of that now. Uh, it isn't going to make the movies better if you watch them, but, you know you'll at least be aware of them and why this story is crap. You may not know when you're watching it, why is this story crap? You may just be thinking, wow, this story is crap. But that's one of the reasons why. So if you're asking, Daddy Warpig, was She-Hulk crap? And my answer is mm, mostly. Mostly crap. And I'm not excusing it. I'm not trying to say it was somewhat good so you should watch it but um there was some good things there that doesn't mean you should watch it and also my opinion is worthless because i'm a man and i hate women well, because you, they scare you, me you probably you strike me as the type of person who might ask 
one if you could buy her a drink and man how do you live with yourself yeah yeah so um let's see i watch rings of power and I can't think of a single good thing about the movie or the series. Not even one. I can't believe I it let is, you talk about that crap and that She-Hulk crap. I want to talk about scary movies. It, it is amateur hour all the way through. They have a billion dollars they spent on this series, and it's not even up on the screen. Um, she Hulk didn't spend as much as this, and it looks like they had a bigger budget in She Hulk, except the CGI is terrible, terrible CGI. <laughs> but the costuming and the sets and stuff actually were high quality. So I guess that's that's one of the good things about She Hulk. They had a low budget relative to the movies but it was all up on the screen you can tell they had a budget and everything in lord of the rings just looks like amateur hour it, it's horrible nothing good about that show nothing zero percent good i've seen worse but nothing in here is good it's just not the worst i've ever seen Go ahead, talk about your horror movie. What? Oh, I was completely blinded by the report that Rings of Power was amateur hour. Totally, I mean, totally came from left field. How how can you be amateur hour spending a billion dollars on something? I I literally don't understand. I mean, but you must accept it. We've been doing this for a few years now. It's been like this forever. It's awful. I can't believe that you even subjected yourself to all that garbage. You know it's garbage. You know it's going to be garbage. But even like, let's say Winter Soldier and the Falcon, which was pretty much mostly trash. Um... They had good stuff about it. They had great action scenes. That's something I can say about it. And it didn't look like crap. They had all these things they shot on location. And it looked great. The location scenes looked great. It had stupid characterization. It had silly plots. It had, you know, questionable things. Uh, it had this long lecture at the end. But it looked good the costumes look good the special effects look good i mean it was an amateur hour it was the scripts and the writing and the politics the ideology they were trying to push that ruined that show but they had a fight on top of like trucks or buses or something on the road and that was great that was a cool fight i could stand to see that fight again because it was it was great you know, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight in any other movie. It was fun. 
I just I don't understand how you spend a billion dollars and you hire the people who were doing uh the rings uh, the the game of thrones didn't have amateur hour costumes they didn't have amateur hour sets um up until season eight i mean i mean the the obvious answer is that it's not the same people so what you're really asking is why why didn't they hire people competent people it's yeah. the same answer it's the same answer every time nobody cares i mean even nobody Amazon... nobody cares and we're talking about the amazon's productions right yeah amazon's productions any... are garbage all the streaming services are garbage yet. i haven't watched wheel of time yet but don't i don't say yet if... just don't just don't watch i'm begging you don't watch are all of their costumes and sets like absolute amateur hour? Because I never heard that complain about it. Uh, I'd say the costumes weren't impressive. Uh, I only saw bits and pieces of a few episodes. The costumes were not impressive. The acting was not impressive. And the uh, the sets were all right. You know, it looks like lot, lots of stuff shot on location. Just, I mean, even Netflix's series had gorgeous sets even if the series weren't great uh you know the sets for resident evil as much as i dislike that movie and i still stand by my review the sets they had were great uh anything they shot on location they picked good locations there the settlement in the middle of the zombie apocalypse looked good. Um, you totally bought it, you know. When they were running down the hallway of what was supposed to be a 30-year-old abandoned industrial park that they had turned into a place for people to live, it looked exactly like that. It wasn't, it didn't look like crap. And Anybody listening who remembers my review of that was pretty harsh. But the sets all looked competent. The costumes all looked... I, I, they didn't wow me like Dunes did. Dunes had, wow, that's awesome costumes. But these all worked. I didn't notice them. I didn't notice anything wrong with them. So they worked well enough to... To, for me to just say, hey, everything's good with that. I just, I, I do not understand how you, I mean, I do understand. You hire the wrong people to do everything else. All the people you hired right at first were incompetent or amateurs. And they're the ones who did all the hiring of everybody else. So, yeah, that's how you do it. The people you picked at the beginning were B-class people, and they hired C-class people to do everything else. And there's no incentive to do otherwise. 
I mean, this is the golden age of, of a lot of things. There is more money available to do great stuff. And there are more skilled, technically skilled people out there who can do great stuff. If you don't hire technically skilled people, that is the biggest slap in the face. Even these woke, even these woke productions can hire skilled people to do things. And if they don't, that is just contemptible because um because that's 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 the minimum bar has been set for technically competent people if you're not getting technically competent people at the very least then you are the lowest of the low i mean because even woke people are hiring technically competent people and I will say this, as far as hope goes, I've seen a lot of movies that are skipping the message recently. They may be quietly woke in a few areas so they can slip past the mob, but they're skipping the message. They've learned that much from the last few years is you know, they'll be passively woke instead of loudly pushing the message. Um, I'm not saying that's any better because they're still poisonous, but they're trying to be more subtle about it. They still haven't learned to be entertaining, but they're trying to be more subtle about it. Mm -hmm. You keep talking about this and drawing out my commentary. Um, we have at least two more things to talk about <laughs> after yours so do you want to talk about them or do you want to save them for next week no i want to hear yours oh uh well uh this week's movie night for halloween times we sat down and watched old people doesn't sound scary does it it is it sounds like uh, you're on a bench at the mall <laughs> just just hanging out watching them watching life go by a horror movie from Germany set in a small town where most of the young people have moved away and it's full of the elderly. They're lonely and ignored and they're so disconnected from their families that they begin to turn feral. They turn into animals. The message is heavy-handed there you might have picked up on it as far as movies go it's essentially a walking dead flick except the monsters are somehow atavistic or possessed elderly people uh, some of the actions fun to watch but i can't recommend it the situations are silly the the whole premise is laughable and the message just makes you want to roll your eyes i don't have much more to say about it 
But Warpig, I know you love zombie movies. So it's not strictly a zombie movie, but you're going to see a lot of the action, a lot of the tropes. You might enjoy it if you run out of good Halloween movies to watch. And I think that's about it. Dead People. I think it's on Netflix. And I don't recognize any of the stars. uh, Because they're all German. Uh, What else can I say about it? Old people are really mad that everybody left their town and leaves them alone to rot in a nursing home. And so one night they rise up and slaughter a bunch of young people because they're having fun attending a wedding reception in a part of town and nobody was invited. That's it. That's the joke. Okay. See, I didn't need that much time. How about you? What's on your list for scary movies? Um, well, for scary movies, I saw the new Hellraiser. The new Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I went looking for images from it, and I didn't. Uh, I wasn't surprised by what I found. Seems like they they changed up some of the Cenobites, but Pinhead's still around. Yeah, but it's not Pinhead. Pinhead. Um. It, it, oh, come on, people! It's a it's a reboot. It's a hard reboot. It's a you know or a remake or whatever you want to call it. They've got a new new lore that wasn't as well thought out as the old lore. That didn't make a lot of sense, and then they even violated themselves during the movie. Um, and the new pinhead is a is a girl boss, is a girl. Most of the new Cenobites are are female. Um. And look, Hellraiser itself, as a horror movie, didn't follow any of the established genre patterns. It wasn't a zombie movie. It wasn't a slasher movie. It was its own thing. And I'm not putting down zombie movies or slasher movies, because I like both of those styles of movies. You know, the Friday the 13th movies, great. Love them. Um, so, after watching, there were so many things that I disliked during the movie. So, hey, Oh, I want to talk about all the things I dislike during the movie, but let me, this is the worst, the deepest problem. Is that they changed the pattern of the movie to be a slasher movie. In that, there's a bunch of 
early 20s, kids who mostly die one by one. And that's just not, it, it just makes the movie kind of repetitive because they don't do, they don't do the thing that you do with slasher movies to make them good, which is to have interesting setups and interesting payoffs for the deaths, for the kills. I mean, if you're not going to make the slashing kills worthwhile, then you're wasting the slasher movie format, right? Mm -hmm. So you're ruining Hellraiser by making it a slasher movie, and then you're not even taking advantage either of Hellraiser's potential as a slasher movie because you could do lots of weird stuff um one of the things that happens in hellraiser is when people get killed they get taken in and made into a new cenobite it happened in especially hellraiser 3 um it is the one i remember the most um but they didn't do that in this movie. All these deaths occur off screen. The dead people don't come back as Cenobites. You have wasted the potential of Hellraiser. You wasted the potential of their promise to bring you pain. You wasted the potential, if you're going to make it a slasher movie, to make it, to, to take advantage of the slasher movie genre and to take advantage of Hellraiser, it's just it's just a mess. You've screwed everything up. And I don't know if that's just because it was going to be on the streaming service or what. Because um, this is literally a, a Hulu streaming first movie. Uh, I'd like to apologize for last week. I was wrong about Firestarter. That was not a Hulu movie. That was actually a theatrical release. Uh, I saw it on a different streaming service. I was confused. Please forgive me. Um, so I was wrong about that. I just wanted to let everybody know. So you would not depend on that information. Uh, it was misinformation. Um, so yeah, they just completely messed up that. The thing with the box this time around, they completely changed the lore of the box. And the lore that they came up with actually had potential. I mean, the only reason to change a lore in the reboot is if you can come up with something better. And the lore they came up with had the potential to be something more. And it was a little bit clever, the twist they came up with at the end. Uh, and so there was actually something good in the story. But everything else around it was not good. And it was awful. 
I had a friend who was telling me about this story idea he had where a character had to do all these things and he had a series of of people who were obstacles in his way but for restrictions he had put on the character the character couldn't kill them himself because it violated his more moral code and so a series of other people would conveniently kill them for him and i'm like look you simply cannot have everything conveniently happen to for, for your character you just can't you have to bite the bullet all right your character has to act on the obstacles himself either that or you're going to have to change this story so that your character uh isn't in these situations um for whatever reason if your character has to kill this person to progress he can't have it conveniently done for him well in this movie in order to the the box the puzzle box has a series of uh six different configurations after the initial one which is the square box all of which have a different shape and you have to solve them to go from one step to the next but also you have to kill someone okay now if you have good pattern matching ability you already see where i'm going with this right <laughs> you have to kill someone to advance and so so specifically what you do is you have to stab them with this little sharp knife piece that pops out and then the cenobites pop up and they kill the person take them to hell and make them a or whatever the other dimension is called and make them into a cenobite presumably but we never see um although that's kind of sort of implied at one point so here's the problem she has to do it because she kind of wants to bring her brother back to life but her brother was accidentally killed in a stupid way he literally falls and stabs himself on the blade so it'll advance to the next configuration but then so is everybody else all the other people except one is accidentally stabbed like they pick up this thing that has this big blade on it and they pick it up with their hand so that it stabs through their hand and they're like oh this big blade i just saw that was on this thing and i picked it up accidentally stabbed me ah how did that <laughs> happen after i put my hand right on top of that blade that i obviously saw that's so surprising my hand is stabbed 
they had a lady suddenly grab this thing for no reason. It didn't make sense. She grabbed it and was fighting with it. And then the girl who, who had the box who needed it was fighting with her. And they were fighting back and forth. And all of a sudden, the lady who was fighting with it was suddenly stabbed in her chest. And she went from being like an 11 on the upset scale to being like a zero. And she said, no, no, it's my fault. And just completely accepted that she was going to get killed by the Cenobites. No, I, I shouldn't have been grabbing it and finding it. Well, no crap, lady. Why were you? And then she dies. So in order to pr proceed from configuration to configuration, except for once, which is even stupider than somebody accidentally getting stabbed and dying to the Cenobites, all of them accidents, all of them convenient accidents. Stupid. And the one that wasn't, and this is a spoiler, you're just, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling the whole movie because it's that dumb and it's on Hulu and it's a streaming thing. And if you haven't seen it already, it's past the uh, statute of limitations for movies nowadays on the internet. So sorry, spoilers. Um, they get crushed behind a gate because the Cenobite is crushing them. And so they stab the Cenobite with the box. And the Cenobite gets killed. Mm -hmm. Because, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. Nothing should happen to that Cenobite. Nothing. She should be forced to stab the other person right next to her. But the script is going out of its way to make her a good guy. So everything is done conveniently. All of her obstacles are conveniently moved out of her way, which means the character doesn't have any agency. She's never taking action. It's just dumb. They waste all the potential of this plot. Um, this whole knife thing with the blood and stuff, if they're going to make it so the character can't do it because she's a good guy, then they needed to get rid of the knife. They needed to get rid of that idea and have something else be the MacGuffin that drives the story. Um, because it technically wasn't necessary. So, and the thought of a Cenobite getting re-Cenobitten only instead of making him a new Cenobite or whatever, it just killed him. It's just... Ugh. I mean, like, did they not see that loophole coming? And so this is the worst thing. Then the Cenobites are like chasing her down, but now they're all terrified. 
they're all scared because they might get stabbed by the bucks. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are making a Hellraiser movie and your plot has led you to the point where the Cenobites are scared of a little woman, she's a 20-something who's skinny, who's a drug addict and an alcoholic. And if the Cenobites are scared of a mortal being, you have done it wrong. Cenobites should never be scared of people. That is not what the Cenobites are. That is not a Hellraiser movie. Gee, many Christmas. And, and, and then it never is used. They never use the weapon. If you're going to give people a weapon against the Cenobites and you use it to kill this tiny little nobody Cenobite who's not even a main character and all the Cenobites are afraid and they're walking forward to the main character for the love of all that is interesting in the story, it should be used again and it should be used again against pinhead in a surprising time when you think it never can be i am weeping for how badly this story was written and how much they wasted it. Cenobite should never be scared of people. I also saw Samaritan. It was okay. I saw the twist coming 10 miles away. It's a superhero movie with Sylvester Stallone. It's on Amazon. It's a technically it's an Amazon original. But it's a movie that was made by other people that Amazon bought. So maybe Amazon trying to, maybe movies that Amazon buys for itself to sell. Um, just like Squid Game was made and produced by other, made by other people that Amazon picked up and paid them money to go make. Uh, whereas Rings of Power was a movie Amazon decided to go make and hired everybody themselves. Maybe that's why Samaritan wasn't absolute total and in every other way garbage. Um, there are some script problems. The script needed at least probably two more revisions on Samaritan to get a couple of uh, the rules they set up didn't weren't followed through they kind of it looks like they kind of had a rewrite at some point and they didn't they didn't quite smooth out the differences between the first revision and the second revision or however that worked out but it was a decent movie it was a good movie and the even though i saw the twist coming maybe it's possible other people might not so I can give a recommend to Samaritan. I absolutely cannot give anything resembling a recommend to Hellraiser. Even if you've never seen the original Hellraiser, because all the things I talked about were just problems with the movie. 
I didn't talk about any problems if you've seen the original Hellraiser. It fails on its own terms, trying to be what it's trying to be. And if you've seen the original Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, you can't even compare it. It's an absolute abysmal failure. But just go into it, taking for what it's worth, it's, a, it's garbage. So don't see Hellraiser. That's my recommendation. Samaritan is worth spending time on if you're interested in seeing a superhero movie where nobody gets in costume. Um, I found it interesting. The concept is interesting. The movie was entertaining to watch. Um, the villain is is pretty cool. He's got a lot of swagger, and I like that in a villain. Um, it's kind of in the same slot as as Joker. Um, didn't have as large a budget as Joker. It isn't as uh, the director isn't as good as the director of Joker, so it isn't as good as Joker. But it's in kind of that same style. Um, it doesn't deal with mental illness, so don't go in expecting that. But it's in kind of that same style. You got kind of that street level swagger to the villain. Um, that's all my reviews. Sounds good. Well, I I've got uh, one thing maybe to look at and uh, twelve to not look at. So I appreciate taking those bullets for us. Don't see Rings of Power. Absolutely <laughs> not. Don't see Hellraiser. Um, don't see She-Hulk. I mean, if it's on Disney Plus or related to any popular IP, don't watch it. Easy, easy checklist. Um, oh, uh, sad-ish news. Sad, actually, sad news for sure. Uh, speaking of popular IPs, uh, the man who played Hagrid on Harry Potter in the Harry Potter movies, uh, he just passed away a couple days ago. What? No way! Yeah, Hagrid just died. Oh. And he recently Robbie gave Coltrane. A, Robbie Coltrane. He just he just uh, gave a poignant interview recently, saying the the great thing about being in those movies, they're so, they're so popular that people are going to share them with their children and their grandchildren. And 50 years from now, I won't be here, but Hagrid will. Uh, really kind of sad and poignant. So rest in peace, Hagrid. He had a he had great roles in the, um, uh, the James Bond prior to the blonde one. Um, not Timothy Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. He had great role in the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. He played a Russian uh, uh, former KGB guy. Uh, did such a great job with it. He was one of the best things about those movies. Um, and, and all of the secondary characters in those Bond movies were really, really good up until the last one, which was awful. The one with Halle Berry and the Invisible Car with the Madonna soundtrack and uh, yeah, I don't. I actually don't watch James Bond movies, 
but I'm pretty sure you mentioned Madonna. That's got to be Die Another Day. Yeah. The uh, the entrance of pop stars into the Bond universe did not escape my notice, oh. even though I don't watch the movies. No, no, no. She didn't. She didn't appear in it. She was. Uh, it was her song that was the the. Yeah, theme that's song. that's what I mean. They they got more pop stars doing theme songs. Um, I don't know if Madonna was the first, but. But yeah, it, he had a great role in those. That, that's what I remember him for, not Hagrid. Um, I kind of note that he was Hagrid, but man, for me, he'll always be that Russian. That was that was my introduction to Robbie Coltrane. Oh, also, R.I.P., rest in peace, Angela Lansbury died last week, too. Yeah, wow. Uh, one of my favorites from the weird live-action uh, 70s of Disney is bed knobs and broomsticks. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and she was just a Jessica Fletcher on Murder She Wrote. Mm -hmm. um, Cut her teeth on old noir movies in the 50s, I believe. So, I mean, she led a long and healthy life. She was like 90 something when she died. Mm -hmm. So. It's not like it was completely unexpected, but still, it was sad. Um, so, rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. Rest in peace, Robbie Coltrane. Um, yeah, well, I think we can call it. Sounds good. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking about D&D &D and Brovenloft and all that stuff. Once again, just to repeat, uh, if you haven't yet, Joy of Wargaming on YouTube, great stuff. Brovenloft, hashtag Brovenloft on Twitter or the Bro SR, spelled just like it sounds. Check those out. Really interesting stuff in tabletop games. Um, and don't watch any crap movies on your streaming services. I uh, appreciate everybody hanging out. And uh, it was great chatting with everyone in the chat live. So if you like the show, come on back next week. And I hope everyone listening later really enjoyed the conversation. And I enjoyed hanging out with you. As always, Daddy Warpig, have a great week. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came in and uh, and listened to the show. I wasn't able to keep up with chat for various reasons, uh, but I hope to go back and reread it, uh, read it after the show. Um, let's see. I can't think of anything else. I've still got a. I am still watching Andor, and I'm still watching whatever the other one I was. Oh, Dance of Dragons. No, that's still going. That didn't get over this week. It's still going. Okay, I'm watching Dance of Dragons, and I'm watching Andor, and I'm still hoping to get in like, oh, yeah, Hulu Hellraiser was actually on my list. I actually watched something on my list. And I haven't watched Red Notice or Adam Project or Beastmaster yet. You know what I did watch this week, though? I watched a bunch of Trancers. <laughs> <laughs> and they're awful. After the first one, they, they just get more and more awful. I will not lie. I'm not going to even review them. They're so awful. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping to watch Red Notice and uh, Adam Project. Uh, I want to thank everyone who listened live. I want to thank everyone who is listening later. 
Um, and as usual, I don't promise to watch any of those things because it turns out I usually don't anyway. But um, this has been Geek Gab. We're on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Just about every week, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, you can subscribe and stuff to get notices. Uh, and uh, basically, we're just awesome. I mean, that's why you should listen to us. We're a fun listen. I don't know what else to say. We're cool. Come and hang out. We, yep. uh, we're here. We're awesome. I don't know. I mean, I could, you know. There's nothing more to say. Yeah, I could scream at the mic every time in the show, but I, I don't like to do that. Um, I like to save that for special occasions. <laughs> um, folks, we are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.